All right, guys, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans. Romans chapter 1. And I want to uh, just give you some thoughts as we begin our study in Romans again. Remember, we're going through Romans because I, I really have wrestled with the reality for a lot of us as believers. We, won't re- we don't really know what we believe or why we believe what we believe. And so when you're in a culture as when we're in right now, you hear so many conflicting things about what Christianity is and what it isn't. And, and uh, a lot of times we really aren't sure ourselves what Christianity is and why we believe what we believe. And so it, it was only fitting that we, I feel like we should go through Romans because it's going to give us really Paul's theology, Paul's doctrine of what Christianity is. And so from that is why we need Christ, which is what we're going to see here in the first part over the next few weeks through the condemnation passages, why humanity needs Jesus to how we are justified. That is how we gain acceptance with him. And then what does that life, that life in Christ feel like, or what is it lived out to be in sanctification? We'll also see that. And then what is the practical thing for everyday life? So that, that's kind of the flow of Romans right there. And so the key verse is verse 17. If you look verse 17, it says, for it is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's the essence of what Christianity is. Christianity is not a set of doctrine that you hold to. It's not what you're doing, how you dress, what Bible you carry. It's not what political spectrum you're on. It's not what cultural thing you hold to or whatever or what what movement you're a part of. It's faith, trust in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does from that point on, from verse 18 on, is he's going to lay out for us methodically helping you to understand that. And so what he does, first of all, is he's going to start with what's known as theologically the condemnation passages. So from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, he's going to list four groups of people who are condemned, who are going to hell who have no hope, and that's why on their own they're declining. And the reality is is that in their declining, the only hope for them is who? Jesus. Because when you get to the reality, the wages of sin is death, Romans says, but the gift of God is Jesus, right? So what we're going to start doing, so it's going to take us four weeks to get through the condemnation passages. We're going to go through them one by one. And so the first group is the one we're going to look at today. And it's the group that I refer to it as the going it alone group. What do you mean the going it alone? Well, it's the group that says, I can handle it myself. I don't need God. You ever had that experience with anybody in our culture today? I don't need God. I can do it myself. In fact, that pretty much sums up our culture today, right? Nobody needs God. We only need God when there's a natural disaster or a war. Then we'll plaster the town with God bless America. But the rest of the time, I don't need you, God. 
I can just do my own thing. It's the going it alone crowd. The crowd right after that is the I'm better than you crowd. We'll talk about them next week. And then the third group is the religious crowd. And then just to make sure that he didn't miss anybody, he has the fourth crowd, which is, by the way, everybody. And he's talking about how all humanity is condemned, but he takes it one step at a time. But today, especially, when we look at verses 18 to 32, I want you to be careful as we read this passage together, because what this passage is going to describe is Gentile cultures and the decline of Gentile cultures, because Gentile cultures, by their nature, always move away from God. And because of that, they go into a downward spiral. And so when you think about what Paul's saying, I don't want you to read into it, because sometimes we'll read these passages and we're ready to condemn one particular sin. But that one particular sin is an indication of what the decline is. And so I want you to see what he's saying, because when you see what he's saying, it'll help you to understand what's going on around you today. So let me ask you a question. As you're going about your lives today, as you watch what's happening on the news, as you watch what's happening in the media, as you watch what's happening in the culture around you, even in Clearfield County, are you okay with what's going on or are you bothered by it? I'm not saying anything, George, because it really doesn't matter. Are you bothered? Yeah, we're bothered. And so we wonder what's going on. Why is this happening? And I'm telling you right now, here's what I want you to tell you. God told you 2,000 years ago it was going to happen. Because this is what happens to all cultures. Even ours. So we want to start off, before we look at the passage, I want to talk about two realities. Here's two realities that you need to grasp. Here's the first one. All cultures are in the state of moving, changing, and declining. All cultures are in a state of moving, changing, and declining. You say, what do you mean by that? No culture stays the same. Every culture moves. How do you know that? Break out, for those of you who are old enough, break out your pictures from the 80s. Look at how you did your hair back then. Look at how you dressed. Look at how your cars looked. Look at how people... I look. I, I, I kind of remember the 80s as the great time well, because that's when I just got out of high school and that was a great time. I thought the music was best, perfect then from the 70s to 80s. And, 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 but then you look and people got high hair. That's not the way it was anymore, right? I mean, you just... Something changed. What happened? Culture changed. You say, well, that's just clothes. That's just hairstyles. No, that's culture. Because you think about what was liked or accepted in the 80s, we're not there anymore, are we? For those of you who are old enough, I'm not old enough. I was born, I'm a child of the 60s. If you were born before that and you remember the 50s and so forth, you can definitely see there's a shift, right? Cultures 
move. They change. And what Paul's going to point out to us, and this is what I need you to understand, they decline. And that's true of every culture in history. Period. They decline and they disappear. Here's the second thing I want you to see. This is another reality. God allows you to do whatever you want, but the consequences are yours. God allows you to do whatever you want. I hear this sometimes. It's a complaint from folks about God. It's usually from the unsaved. I don't want a God who's going to tell me what to do. Ever had somebody tell you that or somebody express that or express that similar type of thinking? I don't want God telling me what to do. Well, the reality is, is that God tells you what to do to be, give you a path to life, but he's going to let you do whatever you want to do. We're going to see that today in this passage. He's going to allow people to do what they want to do, pursue what they want to pursue. But the fact is, is that he lets you do that. He gives you over, but you have to face what? The consequences of those decisions. And that's a reality. What I get irritated by is, is when I hear people who don't want God at all in their lives, but the last time some natural disaster happens, they're mad at God that he didn't stop it. And I want to say to them, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I don't want to have anything to do with you, God, and then get mad at him because he didn't show up and stop a hurricane or a tornado. We have a culture that really doesn't care. So that brings us to Romans. And so as I read this, I want you to think about what he is saying. We're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. And I hope God's Spirit will open your eyes to what's happening around you. So look with me at what he says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made by corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even 
their women exchange their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that they who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow. That's a pretty heavy passage. Even, even as I'm reading that, I've read it so many times now, especially I've been really focusing on this passage for the last few weeks in my mind. It, it is, you can't get away from how heavy the passage, it's a condemnation passage. It begins with a condemnation in verse 18 when he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against unrighteousness. It's about cultures in decline. And so here's what we're going to do with this passage. We're going to break it up into two sections. We're going to see the downward spiral of cultures, Gentile cultures. Because by the way, the Bible divides things up into two types of cultures. There's the Jewish culture, God's people, and Gentiles. Israel, Gentiles. And what he's expressing here has been true of every Gentile culture. And that includes us. We're going to see the downward spiral, and then what we're going to see from that are the consequences. What you and I are witnessing today, as far as that is, that is vexing us, that's the old King James word for what happened to Lot, oppressing us is the new King James now, is a consequence of a culture that is what? Moved away from a God consciousness to its own focus. And then at the end, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell us what can we do with it. What do we do with it? Okay? So here's what we're going to do. Let's look, first of all, at the downward spiral. When you look at verses 18 through 23, you see a progression of what is happening here. So the first thing that happened is there is a concerted effort to suppress the truth about God. Notice with me what he says in verses 18 through 20. He says, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest to them, in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. The first step in the downward spiral is, is that people come to a place a culture comes to a place where they say, it doesn't matter what you think about God. He doesn't exist. The problem is, as Paul says here, they can see within themselves, that is their conscience, that there is a God. 
Everybody, whether they want to admit it or not, in themselves know there's a God. But here's what they do. They suppress that truth. The other thing they do is, as Paul says, beyond what's inside of them, they look to the creation around them. And when they're looking at the creation around them, they can see by the creation around them that there is a God. So, for instance, I love when I go hunting, I'm out in the middle of the woods, and I like looking around, looking for the deer that I'm going to shoot. But I like looking around, looking around at that pesky blue jay that won't leave and quit yakking at me, or the squirrel that's making me think that there's something over there that's coming this way. But I also like to look around at the various types of trees, the various types of plant life that's around there. I like looking around at nature, and I look at it all, and I say, wow, isn't that interesting? Big bang. No, I realize what? God, you made this. You created this beauty around me. When that deer comes out, whether it's a big doe you want to shoot or it's a big buck, you're hoping it's a big buck, and you look at its antlers and stuff, you realize, wow, God, I can't even imagine the mind that thought that up, that created that beauty. Or have you been on a scene, have you gone in the evening and saw a beautiful sunset in our mountains around here? And no artist could paint a picture like that? That's, that's the existence of God. Paul says they see that, even the reality of the power of God, the eternal Godhead, and guess what they do? Suppress the knowledge of that. They suppress it. They make a conscious choice that there is no God. They suppress it. And when you say there is no God, when you turn your back from the reality of the true God, whatever who, whoever he may be to whoever is out there, we know him for who he really is. They head down a spiral. And so the spiral continues. What happens? Look with me at verse 24. Here's what he says, excuse me, verse 21. Verse 21 to 23. Paul writes, but although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the corruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So here, notice the progression here. Here's what I want you to see. Their minds become futile as they look to their own thinking. So here's the progression. So they get to the place where they no longer glorify God, no longer want to acknowledge him. So therefore they are, here's the second start, they become no longer thankful. No longer glorifying him, no longer thankful. Next thing that happens, their thinking becomes futile. I had a discussion with somebody here in the last couple of weeks, and they're like, I don't understand why people are doing the things they're doing. It doesn't make sense. Yes, it doesn't make sense to us, but to them it does. And why are they thinking that way? Because their thinking is what? Futile. They're absorbed in themselves because why? Why? Because professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. 
And that's the next progression. So here it starts. You no longer glorify him. You're no longer thankful. You think you're it as far as thinking. And the reality is, is you realize that you're just a fool. So then guess what they do? No longer worshiping the true God, giving him glory, giving him praise, thinking we're all smart, we can do it ourselves, we create our own gods. And in our culture, we don't create idols to worship. We worship other things, our hobbies, our media stars, our sports teams. All of those things become the object of our worship. And so we've moved away from him. We become self-focused, self-absorbed. And that's what happens to a culture. And you've got to admit, that's what we're seeing in our culture, isn't it? We're seeing that in our culture where we are moved away from a concept of a God, no matter what faith you are, the reality of a God, we move to where The epitome of all existence is the human mind and ourselves. But there are consequences. Remember I told you, God won't tell you what to do, but you have to live with the consequences. Remember I said to you, that's the reality. There is a consequence with this behavior where you move away, Paul says, where you move away from glorifying and being thankful to God and exchanging the truth of who he is with your own truth. Isn't that the new postmodern thing? My truth's my truth, your truth's your truth, and you just need to accept my truth. Well, now here's the reality. If you are moving to your own truth, you've got to face the consequences of that, and that's what we're seeing in our culture today. So here's what the consequences are. I want to point out four things to you here. First of all, it resulted in God giving them over to their own lustful desires. Look with me, verse 24 to 27. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of women, of a woman, burned with lust towards one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty for for their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. Here's what I want you to see. The fact is, is that God says, okay, you no longer want me. You no longer want to acknowledge that I exist. You no longer as a people want to give thanks to me and you've convinced yourself that you know everything and, and, and you are the smart ones now. Okay, then I'm going to let you do whatever you want. And he gives them over to their desires. And uncleanness here isn't some just vile sexual thing. Don't, don't take that. Uncleanness in the Old Testament is the concept of doing something contrary to God in all areas of your life. 
You can become unclean by eating the wrong foods. You can become unclean by touching the wrong things. But the fact is, is they're doing whatever they want, meaning it's without God. And so he gives them over to their own desires. And so then he lists how it all goes to the point where a culture gets to the point where now what is acceptable is homosexuality becomes acceptable. They do their own things. They're given over to their own lust. They want to do what they want to do. Is that not where we live today in our culture? In our culture, whether you are engaging in that sin or not, we live in a culture where everybody feels it's their right to do whatever they want. And when you have a culture that says, baby, do what you want to do. Live life. It's your right. Everything is then expressed. And when you see the prevalence of one sin, it's really reflective of the problem with all. We say, I don't support that sin. I'm not saying you do, but you live in a culture where God means nothing anymore. People's thinking is the most greatest thing and their desires for whatever is prominent. And so because of that, people can do whatever they want, which means there is no control anymore. And when people go down a spiritual decline, they do whatever they want. You say, I don't know if I agree with that, George. Well, let me point something out to you. Here's the second thing. Left to their own desires, all manner of sin was manifested. Remember I told you I wanted you to Look at everything he's saying in this passage. Because usually what people do is when they read this passage, they only focus on the condemnation of one particular sin, which is homosexuality. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul actually goes further, and so he gives us a big list that is just as bad as the homosexuality. So let me read you this list, okay? Look with me at verse... 28. And don't raise your hand when I mention the one that you've done. Okay? Here it is. Verse 29. Being filled with unrighteousness. Okay, that's a pretty broad statement. Here's what he says. Sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness. Anybody covet anything? Every time I drive by a car lot and I see a nice truck that I want, I covet. Covetousness, here we go. Maliciousness, nobody's malicious, right? Full of envy, oh, we are all got it together, right? Murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers. That's another term of saying gossipers. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. We've never had that problem, right? Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Paul's point here is to say this. 
when you are left to your own desires and there is no controlling factor in your life and the controlling factor is a realization that there is a God. All manner of sin is manifested. And he goes on and says that that is worthy of death. So as I was processing this this week, I realized, wow, what the perfect example is. The perfect example of what Paul is expressing here about the decline of a culture where it ends up with this mass of sin and which ends up in condemnation is all the way back, and you know it, the city of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, let me ask you a question. Can anybody tell me why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? All right, for their sins, but any, any particular sin? Uh, I'm not sure, you know. Uh, people are hesitant. Okay. Typically, when I ask people this, if it's just me and them, they'll say homosexuality. That's why it was destroyed. How about if I told you that God said they were destroyed for something else? What? Because usually when we talk about this subject, people go immediately to the condemnation and destruction of Sodom to point out that that is why God destroyed the place. Actually, it's not. It was something else. The homosexuality was a reflection of the greater problem. What was the greater problem? Well, Ezekiel chapter 16, the prophet tells us in verse 48 to 49, it's a condemnation passage concerning Jerusalem. It's concerning Jerusalem and its sin. And it tells, in this passage, he calls Sodom the sister of Jerusalem. It's interesting, isn't it? Why would he call Jerusalem the sister of, of Sodom? Here's what he says. As I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom or her daughters have done as you have done and your daughters have done. All right, stop. So he starts off by saying, Jerusalem, you've done worse than Sodom, your sister. Whoa, wait a minute, because when you and I read through the scripture, we see that the destruction of, of uh, Jerusalem was because of its idolatry. So then verse 49, he tells you what the sin of Sodom is. As I live, says the Lord, look, this was the iniquity of Sodom, your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and an abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. You want to know what the sin of Sodom was that caused it to be destroyed? Selfishness. Selfishness. They were filled with what? Pride. They had everything they needed, the abundance of food. They were idle. And they didn't bother with the poor. Pure materialism and selfishness. And then by the time, because the judgment of Sodom was already decided before the angels were confronted with the men who wanted to sexually know them. 
Their sin that was happening in that passage is a direct result of a culture that what is declined to the place where everybody does what it wants to do because everybody, here it is, everybody is what? Selfish. So let me explain to you. The problem with the going it alone crowd, the problem with the people who don't want God in their life anymore, the problem with all of that is that they only want what they want. And God says, okay. And he gives them over to their desires and their futile thinking and their debased mind. And so there's two more points I want to make here in what he says here. He says, those who practice these sins are deserving of death. This is why the reality of our faith comes in. When you realize that all Gentile cultures are headed to a destructive path and we as a part of them, if we are engaged in those kind of things, and I'm not talking about whether or not you're engaged in one particular sin or not, but you are engaged in living your life by yourself, having what you want, it's all about you, baby. You're going to experience consequences. Because you've said, I don't need you, God. And God says, okay. And then the result is, is you engage in activities that are what? Worthy of death. And I mentioned, it's not just a homosexual issue. It's covetousness. It's pride. It's maliciousness. It's gossiping. All of these things. Sin in general. That results in what? The wages of sin is death, Paul would later say. So those who practice these things are deserving of death. So finally, here it is. The final decline of a culture. We see it in verse 32. Here's what he says. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but look at what it says, but approve of those who practice them. Here's the final decline of a culture. The final decline of a culture is getting to the place where sin is encouraged. Where we get to the place where there's no longer a shame anymore. A public shame of doing the wrong things. We get to the place where basically when you hear somebody's doing something, oh, that's fine, you do what you want to do. You live your life. It's all what you want to do. I'm not going to do that. But hey, it's okay if you do that. And that's what happens when there's a culture that moves into decline. They get to the place where they encourage others to just do whatever. Now do you understand what's going on around you? And can I, let, me, let me put it out to you. The decline that is happening just didn't happen overnight. It happened many, many years ago. And you can go back and you can tick off the marks of how we got here, how we got here. But it was over decades. And so we're at, we're at that end result. It's kind of like, ever watched water going down a well, not water going down a toilet, but I kind of like going, to, you ever gone to the Dubois Mall and they got that big thing there in the middle and you put a coin in and it, it goes around and around and around in a circle and as it gets closer to the middle, it starts going faster and boom, the coin is gone. That's the downward spiral 
that by the time it gets to the end, it goes faster. That's what's happening around us, isn't it? So you say, okay, George, man, this is so encouraging. Man, I just want to go home and say, wow, what do I do with this? Well, I'm going to talk about two things I want you to do with this, okay? First of all, concerning the culture. I have a responsibility of the pastor to tell you this, okay? First of all, refocus your attention away from anger to faith. You want to write that down, write it down. Refocus your attention. It's not going to be on the screen. I didn't add this. I wrote these down this morning because I've been processing it at 3 o'clock in the morning, processing what do I do with this message for you guys. Write this down. Refocus your attention away from anger to faith. And when I say faith, I'm not talking about faith and God changing things overnight. He isn't going to change it overnight. Do you understand what's happening is the natural course of things. This is where we are. This is where we're going. So what do you do? Do I just get angry about it? I'm, I'm watching Christians getting angry about it all over the place, saying crazy stuff. And the reality is, is there's nothing you can do about it. This is the natural course of things. Paul told you this is going to happen. So what do you do? You do like Lot and you have faith. You're oppressed by what's going on, but your hope isn't in things getting better here because you know it's not going to get better here. Your hope is in who? Jesus. So refocus your attention away from the anger to faith in Christ. And again, 2 Peter 2.7, And he delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Second thing with concerning the culture is this. Recognize that our culture is following the natural course of decline. It's following the natural course of decline. You can't change that. Oh, you can do some things, but you can't change that. How do you know you can't change that? Because I'm a human being. I'm 50, I'm going to be 57 in February. Just a few weeks away, I'm going to have my big birthday. And if Lori is gracious to me, she'll make my cake, even though I shouldn't eat it the way I like it. And I'm going to be 57. But here's the problem. When I was 20, I could eat two of those cakes and not care about the sugar content and drink a gallon of sweet tea and not worry about anything. But I'm 57 now, and I'm in a state of decline. It's called the aging process. You're getting old. Things hurt in the morning when you get up out of When I was younger, I could get up out of the bed and get on going. Now I get up out of the bed, and I'm like, oh, that hurts putting my foot on the floor. Now, are there some things I can do about that to help me right now? Yes, but can I stop the decline? No. Look, you need to realize cultures decline. And when you're watching the things around you, again, move your faith, move from anger to faith, but also recognize what? Recognize that what we're seeing is a natural decline of our culture. So what does that mean for you? So that's where I'm going to end up with two things for you. One thing for you, actually. 
when you read this and you see what's going on where it's about the issue of people just wanting what they want to do, not caring about God, and then experiencing the consequences of their stuff, it really comes down to this one point. Guard yourself against selfishness and materialism. You've got to guard yourself against selfishness. You've got to guard yourself against materialism. Have you not realized yet it isn't about you? Hey, married couples, it isn't about you. It's about both of you. It's not about what you want. It's about what both of you need. It's not about you. Here's what the writer says in Proverbs. Two things I ask of you, deprive me not before I die. Psalm 30, verses 7 through 9. Verse 8, remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Why? Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? And lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you hear what he's saying? Don't give me more than I need, because if I have more than I need, guess what? I will forget about you. Isn't that what we just talked about, what was happening in the decline of a culture, where they forget about God and they just go doing whatever they want, heaping on themselves whatever they want because they've got it all? But he also says, don't keep me poor, lest I dishonor your name by stealing so, so the reality is, is when you look at where you're, where the culture is going, how do I live there? You live there by faith, not in anger, but by faith. But you yourself guard yourself that you don't want fall into the same trap. And sadly, folks, I've been around a long time as a pastor, a long time. <clears throat> I've seen folks come through church who had nothing, and then all of a sudden God blessed them, and guess what? We don't see them anymore. Because they forgot God. So guard your hearts. That's the first group. Next week we're going to look at the crowd that thinks they're better than everybody. Let's pray.